Do you act differently depending on who's watching you or who's with you? Are you one kind of person at home and another kind at school or work and then someone altogether, altogether different when you're here uh, worshiping with us? Do you act one way when things are going your way and another when they aren't? What do you like when no one's looking? Do others see righteousness, peace, and joy in your life? Or are there times when God's name is blasphemed among unbelievers because of you? Commentator Derek Kidner wrote the following. He said, Joseph's outstanding abilities and integrity, crowned with the touch of God, were constant at every level. As prisoner and as governor, he was simply the same man. As we walk through these 23 verses of chapter 39 and we consider the first 11 years of Joseph's life in Egypt, we're going to be challenged by the faithfulness he exhibited, that faithfulness that he exhibited in the midst of trials and temptation. We're going to be challenged by his integrity. We're going to be challenged by his consistency and that he was the same person regardless of his circumstances, regardless of who was around and whether or not he was in the midst of adversity or prosperity. But while all of that is true, and we should, of course, ask ourselves if the same could be said of us, that actually isn't the main point of the passage. It's an excellent point of application, and it's one that we should make and one we should think about, because, but, but the primary focus the primary focus is not Joseph's faithfulness. The main point of the passage is found in verse 2, verse 3, verse 21, and verse 23. The main point of the passage is that in the midst of Joseph's trials and temptation, in the midst of his adversity and his prosperity, the Lord was with him. And the fact, and that fact was not only evident to Joseph, but it was evident to everyone around him. Our outline, which is in its normal place, has two points. We want to see that first the Lord was with Joseph in the midst of trials, and secondly that the Lord was with Joseph in the midst of temptation. And spoiler alert, the main takeaway that we're going to leave with tonight is that the Lord is with you and me, particularly in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. Children, your words are in their same place. I hope you'll be listening for those. Let's go to the Lord in prayer before we continue. Well, Father, would you give us ears to hear, and would you prepare our hearts and minds to receive your word? Would you grant me grace and fill me with your spirit that I might do something good for you and your people this evening? I ask that you would attend to me as I do this work that you've called me to do, 
And I pray these things for um, the sake of Christ and His church. Amen. Well, I mentioned last week to you that we really could have gone straight from 37, chapter 37 to 39, skip 38, because the last verse of chapter 37 and the, last, and the first verse of chapter 39 are very, very similar. The last verse of chapter 37 says, Meanwhile, the Midianites had sold him, Joseph, in Egypt to Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, the captain of the guard. The first verse of chapter 39 says, Now Joseph had been brought down to Egypt, and Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, the captain of the guard, an Egyptian, had bought him from the Ishmaelites who had brought him down there. Now the bottom line is, Joseph had been the victim of human trafficking at the hands of his own brothers. It's hard for us to fathom. For, for 20 pieces of silver... They sold him, and he was subjected to the humiliation of being poked and prodded and paraded around half-naked in front of complete strangers who treated him like livestock rather than someone who had been created in the image of God and was the climax and crowning achievement of creation. His cries for help, we know, we, we heard, we read those cries for help that arose out of the pit as he begged for his life, that expressed the distress of his soul, were ignored. He was exiled from home. He was banished from his family. And he had been auctioned off like property. His freedom had been stripped off of him just as his clothes had been stripped off of him. And to say his future was unknown would be an understatement. But immediately in verse 2, the hope breaks through this dark providence. And Moses said, the Lord was with Joseph. And to be clear, that doesn't mean that God was with him in this general, omnipresent sense or way. It means Yahweh... The personal, covenant-making, covenant-keeping God was with him and was for him, which means the Lord was by his side and on his side, so much so that Joseph became very, very successful. And of course, we're once again reminded that the Lord, as we learned last week, the Lord loves to take what is meant for evil and use it to bring about good. The Lord loves to salvage what is marred. The Lord loves to bring blessing from that which is cursed. The Lord loves to re redeem those who deserve judgment. And notice how successful he was. In verse 3, it says, His master saw that the Lord was with him, and that the Lord caused all that he did to succeed in his hands. It was not... A, not only obvious to Joseph, but to, to those around him that he had found favor with the Lord and it was the Lord who was the source of his success. And that included his new Egyptian master and the captain of Pharaoh's guard, Potiphar. His name is a variation of uh, Potipharah, which is uh, in Egyptian means one given to Ra or by Ra. 
Ra was an Egyptian god of the sun or order or kings and skies and basically was the one for them who ruled over all of creation or the world. And so what we have in this moment is hundreds of years before the Lord would announce that He was going to execute judgments on the gods of Egypt in Exodus chapter 12, He's announcing here in Genesis 39 that it, He, as God, He was the God who was greater than Ra and the source of all blessings. And Potiphar was no dummy. Verses 4 through 6, we read that after noticing the presence and, and the blessings of the Lord, he didn't relegate Joseph to external work or manual labor. He didn't put him outside. He kept him within the home. He utilized him inside the home, and he quickly promoted him not only to his per, personal assistant, but to, um, to the position of chief steward or house manager. That meant what went on inside and outside of the home was all under Joseph's supervision. It was all under his watchful eye. Potiphar was, well, everything, and Potiphar even says, or Joseph says in verse 6, that everything that was Potiphar's was under uh, Joseph's charge. Potiphar was so confident in Joseph and his God that he didn't concern himself with anything other than the, the personal day-to-day -day or, or personal needs that he himself had, the day-to-day -day operations of the estate never crossed his mind because Joseph was in charge. In the words of Gordon Wenham, Potiphar abandoned his interest in what Joseph was doing because he was so convinced that Joseph was doing what was best for him. And so as a result... Moses said the blessing of the Lord was on all that he had in house and in the field. And we ask why. Why was that so? With a couple of reasons. First, we, we read it was for Joseph's sake. Right? In other words, so, so that Joseph would benefit. The, the Lord was blessing, blessing all that Joseph did for Joseph's sake. And benefit he did. But secondly, we know from from what we have been reading throughout Genesis, he also did it because the Lord was fulfilling the promise that he made to Abraham in Genesis chapter 12 and reiterated in Genesis chapter 2. He, he did so because he, he had promised or to fulfill the promise that he made to Isaac in Genesis 26, and he did so to fulfill the promise that he had made to Jacob in Genesis 28. And that promise was to bless the nations through their offspring. But this wasn't the only trial that Joseph experienced. This wasn't the only adversity that he went through. Once again, he had become the favorite of the head of the household. And once again, he had been given privilege or was privileged within that household. And once again, Joseph had de developed loyalty and was obedient toward or had loyalty for and, and, and was obedient to the head of the household. In other words, his character was such that he was loyal to and obedient to Potiphar as he had been loyal to and obedient to his father. And unfortunately, that loyalty and obedience to Potiphar 
led to prison, just as his loyalty and obedience to his father had led to the pit and to bondage. And we'll see exactly what transpired in just a minute, but for now, all we need to know is that while he had contributed to ending up in the pit through his youthful immaturity, he had not contributed to ending up in prison. As a matter of fact, it wasn't his youthful immaturity, but it was his spiritual integrity that caused his imprisonment, which in the words of Richard Phillips, cast a shadow of despair over him. Psalm 105 says that his feet were hurt with fetters, and his neck was put in a collar of iron. The old Scottish minister Robert Candlish describes his circumstances this way. He wrote, there he lies, prostrate, helpless, plunged in the mire of a loathsome cell, and the still more intolerable mire, intolerable mire of a vile reproach which his whole soul abhors, himself loaded with unmerited condemnation, and the name of that God whom he sought to honor wickedly blasphemed on his account. He is indeed, as it might seem, forsaken of all, abandoned by earth and heaven alike, and left alone in his anguish and agony. But again, hope breaks through. Verse 21 begins with one of the best words in all of Scripture, and it says, but. But the Lord was with Joseph and showed him steadfast love and gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. Even in prison. Joseph could count his many blessings and name them one by one. He, like his great-grandfather Abraham, was the benefactor of kindness, or the kindness, and goodness, and mercy, and loyalty, and covenantal faithfulness, and steadfast love of the Lord. And the result was favor in the eyes of the keeper of the prison. Look at verses 22 and 23. And the keeper of the prison put Joseph in charge of all the prisoners who were in the prison. Whatever was done there, he was the one who did it. The keeper of the prison paid no attention to anything that was in Joseph's charge because the Lord was with him. And whatever he did, the Lord made it succeed. And we we see the pattern, do we not? We see the pattern of his life. Joseph was not going to be spared or delivered from distress or adversity, but he would be protected and even promoted by his oppressors in the midst of his adversity. At first it appeared or appears as though he'd, he'd be abandoned. But in the words of Gordon Wenham, again, despite all appearances, God was on Joseph's side in his deepest humiliation. Joseph Lee 
or Joseph probably, um, as he sat in the prison, wondered what the Lord was doing. He probably had questions, as any of us would have had questions. And he probably spent a significant amount of time in that cell contemplating the trials and, and, and contemplating the, the, the suffering, contemplating the unfairness, dwelling upon the injustice. And he did so all in, in light of the promises God had made to his family and in light of what he, uh, his future, in light of what God had shared with him about his future through the dreams. The Lord, the Lord had to be doing something through, this, through the trials, right? And of course, we know that He was. He was preparing Joseph, molding him and making him into the man that God wanted him to be and would need to be for what lied ahead. And beloved, the same is, tr- is, same is true for us. The same is true for us. Trials, suffering, unfairness, and injustice would all, could all be occasions for us to think that God doesn't care about us, or to think that in some way that He's forsaken us. There are occasions for us to, to grow weary and, and to doubt and to, and to fall into despair, maybe hopelessness. But the better choice is to remember Joseph and to ask ourselves as children of God that we are, who've been made heirs of His promises and we're benefactors of that same kindness, that same goodness, that same mercy, the same loyalty, the same covenant faithfulness, the same steadfast love due to our union to Christ. What He is doing and what He will do. What what is He doing and what will He do in the midst of our circumstances? What is He doing for us? In the words of Calvin, we need special discernment to view events with the eyes of faith. We need to reflect on God's blessings, which mitigate the severity of the crosses we have to bear. God meets with us in our difficulties so that with renewed strength, we are more prepared for other conflicts. He goes on to say, as the light of the sun is most clearly seen when we are looking from a dark place, so in the darkness of our miseries, the grace of, sh- the grace of God shines more brightly When beyond our expectation, He comforts us. And then He says this, when He delivers us from our trials or assists us in a good cause, since we are unworthy of His helping us, the reasons for God doing so much must be in Himself, since He is merciful. But the Lord was not only with Joseph in the midst of uh, trials, He was also with him in the midst of temptation. Joseph's faithfulness and 
and his obedience and his obligation to God was, was strong. His obedience to and obligation to God was strong. And he was a man of care. We, we see he's a man of character. Um, we can kind of guess that he had a, an unquestionable work ethic. And as we're about to see, his loyalty was unwavering. But he was also uh, from a line of very beautiful women. And he had received or inherited the family form and appearance gene. And verse 7 says that after a time, Potiphar's wife cast her eyes upon him and began to pursue him. And I use the word pursue because she didn't simply proposition him once and then move on but did so over and over and over again. Day after day, she would, she would seek to tempt, or she would tempt him. She would seek to lure him into an illicit relationship that he knew was wrong. As a matter of fact, we know those of the culture of the day, they also believed it wrong. Remember what we've seen in the past from Pharaoh and Abimelech. It was wrong. And she was relentless. That's not too strong of a word. She was relentless in her pursuit. But day after day after day, Joseph would refuse. And he'd refuse on two grounds. The first was he refused because of his master. Potiphar trusted him. Potiphar had entrusted him with everything that he owned. As a matter of fact, in verse 9, Joseph said that Potiphar had held only one thing back from him, and it was her. So what Joseph did, unlike Eve, by the way, Eve, who wanted and went after the one thing kept back or held back from her, Joseph refused. He remained loyal. He was going to maintain the position he had been given. He was going to, or he wasn't going to sacrifice his position. He wasn't going to sacrifice his reputation. And he definitely wasn't going to sacrifice his life for her. But the second reason is that he refused because of his God. More importantly, he refused because of his God. He knew what she was asking was more than a breach of trust against Potiphar. He said it was wicked, and it was a sin against God. He knew that if he were to give in, that he would, in the words of Donald Barnhouse, abuse the goodness of God since he furnishes the strength for us, uh, the strength we use to sin, and it would also be an insult to the intelligence of God because it proclaims that the glory of heaven is not to be compared with the gratification of lust. He knew in the words of Solomon from Proverbs 5 that her lips dripped honey and her speech was smoother than oil, but in the end she was bitter as wormwood. She was sharp as a two-edged sword. He knew her feet would go down or were going down to death and that her steps follow the path to Sheol. 
So despite everything, imagine everything working against him, despite everything working against him, including his natural desires that come with young men his age, the provocative and the alluring pursuit of a promiscuous woman, the potential of her ruining his life if he would to refuse. He he consistently refused anyway. He said no in the face of it all. In other words, he was the same as when Potiphar was looking and when Potiphar wasn't. He was the same in public as he was in private, or private as he was in public. And the knowledge that the Lord had been with him and was with him was the basis of those repeated refusals. The Lord had been faithful to him, and he was going to be faithful to the Lord. Well, growing weary of rejection... Verse 11 says that Potiphar's wife attempted, uh, changed her strategy a little bit, and, and she attempted to persuade him physically. Um, the word there is that she seized him by his garment and demanded that he do what she had been asking him to do. And rather than attempt to explain yet again, why he wasn't going to, or why he couldn't, and why he wouldn't, he simply fled. To use Paul's words, he he fled youthful passions. He fled uh, sexual immorality. And despite doing the right thing, he was falsely accused of sexual harassment and unjustly imprisoned. But again, verse 21 says, but the Lord was with him. Now, there are a lot of takeaways that we um, could go home with tonight. They're numerous. We could take time to consider the fact that all of our successes are from the Lord. Or that being faithful doesn't mean that our lives will remain trial-free or temptation-free. Or that those who desire to live godly lives will be persecuted. Or that some temptations come in the midst of prosperity as well as adversity. Or that when we face temptation and our persistence or our perseverance is weak, the best and maybe the only right response is to flee immorality, or that we can't willfully or continually sin and enjoy God's presence and blessing. But I want us to focus on one specific thing. I want you to consider one thing. And that is this, the Lord is with you. The Lord is with you. That's what we all need most. Joseph uh, points us to the Lord Jesus. 
the Lord Jesus, who was the God-man, the eternal Son of the Father, who took on flesh to dwell among us. Joseph was a chief steward of a house, but Jesus, or the Christ, was the son of a house. Joseph was wrongly accused and unjustly imprisoned or convicted, but Joseph was a sinner. Jesus was wrongly accused and unjustly convicted, but he was without sin. Joseph was scorned and ridiculed by ridiculed as a Hebrew by an Egyptian woman. Christ was scorned and ridiculed by his own people, and he was condemned by the ones he came to save. Joseph experienced and withstood the the relentless onslaught of temptation from that same woman. Christ experienced and withstood the whole weight, the full weight, and the relentless onslaught of the temptation of Satan that he himself, only he himself could, could endure. Joseph became an example for us. Our New Testament passage tonight said that Christ was an example for us, but more than that, Christ, was, Christ also became a perfect, spotless, blameless, sinless, substitutionary sacrifice for us. Joseph's victory over temptation is an encouragement for us. But Christ's victory over temptation has been credited to us. And his resistance and his endurance and victory are now available to us so that we can resist and endure our own temptation as well. His name is Emmanuel, God with us. And he is present with us by His Spirit who lives in us. We have been united to Him, and He sticks closer to us than a brother. He sympathizes with our weaknesses. He's our advocate before the Father. He intercedes on our behalf at the throne of grace. In the words of another pastor, He's not simply a promise. He's a person. And He's with us in whatever trial and temptation we may experience. Let me close with these words from Richard Phillips. As it was for Joseph in prison, it is the thought of God's promises, especially His promise to take us into heaven through our faith in Jesus, that gives our greatest hope amid the trials of life. Can we then rejoice in our sufferings, as Romans 5, 3 says? We can if we remember Jesus, who suffered the trial of the cross and the darkness of the grave for us, so that through faith in Him we might join His resurrection into eternal life. Embracing these truths 
through faith in every trial, we can say with the scriptures that this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. Brothers and sisters, do not despair. Do not grow weary. Do not give up. Do not give in to temptation. The Lord is with you. Let's pray. Father, by your spirit and grace, would you enable us to receive the word with faith and love, lay it up in our hearts, and practice it in our lives. For your glory, for our good, and for the sake of Christ and his church, I pray. Amen.